welcome back for another episode of the Techspective podcast. Uh, my guest this week is my good friend, uh, Mr. Richard Steenen. So, uh, Richard. Hey, uh, Tony. This so, is great. Up to you. This, this is great to be back. Well, you know, I'm, it's the end of COVID restrictions, right? So, I'm look, assuming they don't pick up again in the summer, I'm looking forward to getting back on the road again. But so far, it's been 14 months, going on 15 with no air travel, no hotels, no conferences. Um, been super productive. Let me write a few books, but I'm ready. Oh, I was going to say, like, uh, you know, I, I, first, first of all, when I, I thought you were starting off with uh, saying we're at the end of COVID before you said we're at the end of COVID restrictions. Right. And I was going to, and I was going to say, uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves there. You're yeah. not oh, yeah. <laughs> something. I'm still being cautious. I won't go on an airplane because somebody from you know, a hot spot like India could come on the plane and all of a sudden the plane has a variant that we've never seen before. And, the you know, that's my interpretation. So I'm right. being and cautious. There does appear to be light at the end of the tunnel, uh, so to speak. Yep. Um, a uh, little, little bit discouraging, uh, the headlines in the last week saying that uh, based on the sheer number of anti-vax people that uh, we, we, may, we may not get where we need to be in terms of herd immunity because there's so many people who think Bill Gates is trying to plant a chip in them. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, I think long-term that's 20% of the population, right? The same ones who are hardcore uh, Trump supporters, yeah. pretty big intersection, not total, right? Cause some, the church of Sci Scientology, no, um, Christian scientists don't believe in vaccines. So, there's always going to be that, but is maybe we can get to the level where we can do contact tracing and then we can just chase it down one case at a time like they do in Australia or China. But yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, it's interesting because there are, there are certainly pros and cons. I mean, you wouldn't think of pros going into it. You know, it's not something you would wish to have to go into quarantine lockdown for a global pandemic. But, you know, I, I remember, you know, early on thinking, you know, it's, kind of nice you know had my yeah. my kids here we're all in the house you know like we you know we, we kind of picked up some different hobbies we weren't doing before because it's like well now we got to kill time you know hanging out here as a family in the house what are we going to do yeah um, absolutely you know, there, there was some definite quality time aspects uh, I, I i took up uh piano lessons very nice you know and you you have to be stuck at home to do that because you, if you're on the road you're not practicing unless you play an air piano which doesn't help <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, so there certainly are some, some, some upsides, uh, but the, the lack of travel, I think is, uh, you know, I think initially it was kind of cool. Like initially, I think there were people who were like, man, I'm, you know, and you travel a lot and, you know, like lots of security people, you know, if it's not RSA and black hat, it's, you know, you got sales engineers traveling there's just so much travel. And I think initially people were like, well, this is great. I have an excuse to not be, not, not live in an airport. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and easier, easier not to gain weight. Um, the big uh, thing I saw was I've lived in this house here for 18 years. I've never experienced all four seasons, you know, just the slow progression, right? It's always like a snapshot or fast forward because you go away for two weeks, come back, the leaves are out. Go away for two weeks and it's summertime. Well, um it's not. I'm not 100% confirmed yet, but I'm pretty sure I will be at Black Hat in person. Good. Yeah. Good luck. 
Um, I'm pretty and, sure I won't be. <laughs> I mean, I I am uh, I I'm vaccinated. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, but uh, you know, like you said, it's like the you know there are variants. There are there are a lot of other factors there. Um, uh, so we'll 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 see how it goes. But uh, uh, you know, I am I am uh, cautiously looking forward to it. Yeah. No, it'll <laughs> it'll be good. I'm really you know thinking as we come up on RSA, like there's there's a lot of stuff I want to dig into. Um, you know just rumors and stuff and i can verify them you go to the bar or the party and you see the sales guy from that company and you can tell if you can ask him the embarrassing yeah. questions yep you know you get a, get a, get a couple of drinks in them and all of a sudden they're, they're they're talking all kinds of stuff yeah exactly and that's you know because we don't have investigative journalism in our field um you don't ever find out other than through scuttlebutt what went on at Norse in the final days? What went on at some of these companies? It's just a big void. Yeah, that's true. Um, so one of the things that I, 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 I brought up the concept right before we started, but I, I want to come back to it now is, because I, 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 I'm very curious now that you, 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 you said what you said, and I want to get your input on this. So I've been in technology, specifically in security, for about 20 years. You know, we're working in some element of cybersecurity for about 20 years. Yep. When I first started, I felt like, you know, I was I was working in antivirus, you know, so we had McAfee and Semantic and Trend Micro and um, and and I felt like the the. The best practices at the time or the established uh, kind of standard was best of breed point solutions like you just got the best of that best of that best of that and if you got all the best of everything then obviously you would have the best security right. uh, and then and then the philosophy comes along of well no that's not necessarily the best because you have to be able to integrate all of that and correlate all of that and it has to work together seamlessly and you know yes that might be the best firewall but if it's not communicating what you need to communicate with the endpoint protection, then you know you you don't have the best. Right. And so now there's an argument then to be said for, okay, well, what if you know McAfee just did all of the above, and now I have now I have the you know quote unquote single pane of glass, which is a whole different conversation we could go into. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, you know, so there's that, and and to me, I feel like over the 20 years, that has ebbed and flowed. Like point yep. point solutions come out. Yep. Eventually, they get bought up and integrated into the overall like comprehensive solutions, and then new point solutions come out. And, you know, like new point solutions come out to to address new new vectors, new things that that weren't part of the previous uh, consolidation, um, and then eventually those get bought. And, and and you know and and that, that that so when I was saying that I feel like there's a consolidation, that's kind of what I was referring to is that, yeah. that I feel like we're back in that mode of the larger companies kind of recognizing some of these uh, up and coming like the the trending niche technologies and starting to buy them up. I mean, you brought yeah. up the, the point about deception. I think deception is 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 very cool, um, but. You know, uh, uh, t going back to the point of the integration, it's like, OK, so if you, you know, whatever security you've got now, you need your deception to like play nice with that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I think you're right on. Um, you should be an industry analyst, that kind of insight and that experience. So the um, the 
the way it used to work, you know, both McAfee and Symantec came out of the PC tools world. They weren't even antivirus companies when they were created. Um, the network solutions or network associates, you know, merged with McAfee and they eventually picked the name McAfee much later. Um, and semantic for sure, right? They they were just a PC tool division that just wanted to acquire anything that ran on a PC. And eventually security was the biggest thing they did. So they just kept going on because that's how they knew to grow, it's like just acquire companies. The way it works ideally, especially if you're, uh, it works best in telecom hardware, your big telecom company, you know, in Aristo would fall into that or Ericsson, you acquire a company for a couple hundred million dollars and you immediately sell their product through to all your customers. That's the winning way to do acquisitions, right? You make the purchase price back in a year in, in revenue anyways. <clears throat> and now, of course, we don't have Symantec doing acquisitions. We don't have McAfee. Cisco's, you know, still trying to absorb the big uh, acquisitions it made a couple years ago. Um, but we have new guys. And the biggest, play, you know, of course, VMware's, you know, what are they doing, right? They, they already own the uh, virtualization space other than uh, competing against free. And now they're buying up security companies, adding them to a portfolio. So they're definitely playing that, that game. Um, but then you've got uh, Symphony and Insight Partners, who are huge private equity firms in Tomo Bravo. Um, and they are just buying up like mad with at tremendous valuations. Look at, you know, 780 million for recorded future two years ago. Um, or Armis getting acquired for whatever it was. It was a big number for an IoT security company. And so I think the, the private equity guys are really sticking their foot in the water. They're going to muddy the situation, right? Because you're going to have acquisitions made purely on financial, not strategic uh, decision points. And that's usually not a great thing for end, for the end user customers. Um, you know, they'll reduce costs. It's not good for me, right? Because the first thing I cut is interactions with analysts because who needs them? Um, and, and then they'll, you know, break companies up uh, put them in debt to pay for the acquisition. Um, but sometimes it works. Sometimes they take the company private and, you know, like Forescott was, uh, last year, um, couple other, you know, recent announcements of that. They'll clean the company up. I'm thinking of Proofpoint now. Tomo Bravo buys Proofpoint, $12 billion, $12.3 billion is the biggest acquisition of a security company, right? And it was already performing extremely well, had seven and a half X uh, of revenue market cap. Um, what are they going to do with that? Right. It's, it's email security, you know, and, and there used to be a thing, you know, you wouldn't do a startup if Microsoft could take your business from you because they wouldn't a minute. Um, so, oh, hey, Microsoft can do that. Just like before that, it was big blue can do that. Um, so, you know, email security is just belongs to Microsoft, right? Because they own the email. So why would they just keep building on their capabilities with what do they call it, ADT for email security? Yeah. Well, 
I well, you, and there are there are acquisitions, you know, that that happen that don't seem to make sense, and and then when you watch them play out, you're like, yeah, I was right, it didn't make sense. Right. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. When uh, you know, back in the day, it was always ISS doing okay. crazy acquisitions that were just to fool the market into thinking they were growing. Um, and now I might accuse FireEye of doing stuff like that. Um, because if you can't make your numbers, you know, the expected growth of a public security company is at least 30%. If you're going to miss that, just buy a company whose revenue is accretive and you just kind of, you can balance that for quite a while before everything, the house of cards falls down. Well, um, so you, I know you've got, uh, you know, you had the the security yearbook last year. You you you've updated that. So I mean, I, so first of all, is that is that something that you are going to, you know, do do you intend on making that kind of an annual thing to to just kind of tweak it with you know what's what's new? Yeah, um, tweak it, and um, this year I'm actually going to rewrite it. You know, make sure the voice is consistent with everything I've I've uh, written before. Um, but every year, you know, it'll still have new value because it covers what happened the year before. So there's kind of a major events happening. Uh, next year, I'm going to include, you know, all of the major breaches that are mentioned because I've, I've left that out up to now because you and I used to write about breaches all the time. And I got tired of that, right? Because it's the same story. People aren't doing what they're what we told them to do 20 years ago. They're still not doing it. So you get tired of be in that squeaky wheel. Um, but breaches do drive our industry. That's why it can't consolidate. And as you were pointing out, you know, the bunch of companies will get bought, but then there'll be new ones with new features, new cool stuff for the new threats. And that's what just keeps the ball rolling. And it's always going to be that way until the bad guys give up and go home. And that ain't happening. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny with the, you know, data breaches. It's like, you know, Going back to, you know, the, I think the, 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 the one that everyone automatically pulls out of their head is Target. Like yep. that's the, the, the watershed moment of data breaches. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> um, and so, you, you know, you got Target, you've got Sony, you've got Equifax, you know, you've got all these major ones. But then there's a thousand minor ones that happen week to week that you never hear about. Yep. Um, and yeah, I think I think it just you know, to your point, it. It stopped being a story so to speak because i'm like yeah it's another breach it was the same as the last breach <laughs> like yep. things happened the same information got breached um and, you know uh, actually a few episodes of this podcast ago i was uh, talking with uh, david marcus formerly of mcafee and you know and i said that i i'm 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 actually kind of jaded to the whole thing at this point where when 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 i get a notice that says you know, oh, XYZ company was breached. You know, you're a customer of that company, so we're letting you know, you know, your your information yeah. might be compromised, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, but that happens like so many, uh, like my name, home address, email address, social security number, driver's license number, like all the pieces of information that aren't modifiable, really, like they are what they are. Yep. I'm like, as far as I'm concerned, that's a that's a that's water under the bridge. That that, that, that it's already that, stolen. Yeah, you know. So yep. I, I like when when you tell me that it's breached, I'm like, Meh. yeah, right. I don't, it's like, not it's like not not to say I don't care, but I, I don't see the point in caring at at this point. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah, the ones, of course, that we all pay attention to are when it's a brand new methodology um, or a serious one. Solar winds definitely match that, right? It was that's something to worry about, especially if you say, okay, if it can happen to solar winds, it can happen to any of my software suppliers. Um, Microsoft easily being one of them. Nothing stopping a developer at Microsoft from being compromised and code updated. Um, And that's terrifying. What do you do about that? Um, I don't know. That's true. And I would say it's fair to say that it is probably already happened. You know, so like solar winds happened many, many months before it was discovered. Yep. Um, And then you had the, you know, it wasn't the same thing because it wasn't like the same kind of supply chain attack. But then you had the the Hafnium attacks from China against the Microsoft Exchange servers. Then then you know, uh, just last week, uh, you know, by my my day job company Cyber Reason uh, released uh, research that they had found of a Chinese APT targeting a Russian defense sector. So it's like oh, there's there's love going in all the, all all directions. Yep. Yeah. And um, can answer me this: What was the first attack um, initiated by a software update that we know of, that I know of. There we go. What was the first attack I know of? You have to guess both. <laughs> a software update. I don't know. The uh, Ericsson switches at Vodafone in Greece at, during the 2004 Summer Olympics. And there were like uh, three or four software updates that were malicious and their combined um, purpose was to turn on the lawful intercept function of the Ericsson switch for the cell phone network. And the attackers were able to listen in on a hundred different people's cell phone conversations. And the engineer who was in charge of installing those software updates (coughs) was found hanging in his apartment three days later, dead. So either committed suicide because he felt bad about it. Or he got Jeffrey Epstein. Yep, exactly. Um, Which has, you know, Russian SRV or GRU written all over it. Um, and Or Russian cybercrime, I guess, because you know, whatever it was, it was uh, that was early. And then, of course, we had um, CC Clean was another one. You know, it was malicious software download. Um, and so, yeah, solar winds wasn't the first. A flame virus used a uh, uh, you know a false signature right. that the attackers, the NSA, had generated. So, oh, and so I, I so I guess I got kind of got two two elements from that. Number one is there's a very good chance that Russia and or China and or whoever else you know North Korea, Iran, you you name it. Um, there's a fair chance that some other quote unquote solar winds already exists that we just haven't found yet. Yep. There's also a relatively good chance that there are all kinds of hidden back doors and zero day exploits, leftover remnants (laughs) and artifacts of solar winds that we're going to still be finding out about a year from now that, you know, and, and, and again, David Marcus and I talked about that some too, that, that. There were, you know, tens of thousands, you know, of of impacted systems around the world, and those companies didn't all, you know, they didn't they didn't 
throw the systems out and start over fresh. They didn't, uh, you know, wipe them clean. You know, every, you know, so you know, most 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 companies just try to surgically remove the threat or you know, surgically yeah. remove what they can find. And it's like, okay, yeah, but you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. So right. you don't know what else is there that you missed. Yeah. And who knows what's, you know, what was left behind at solar winds, right? So they can, they can clean everything up and then they just come back with a new methodology. Yeah. And, then, and then the flip side to that too is, uh, you know, we focus a lot and we're, we're, we're Americans in, in America. Uh, so we look at, you know, oh, Russia attacked us. Oh, China attacked us, you know, the, the, and, and we look for the, the evidence of, well, you know, what cybercrime family or nation state is behind this threat. Um, but if you if you're in Russia, I'm sure the same thing is happening. And uh, like, I'm sure the United States is doing the same thing. No yeah. question. I'm sure yeah. like you're in if you're in China, you're 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 looking, you're going, oh, we found this, you know, NSA, you know, APT. In, yeah. <laughs> In our network. Yep. And what's it called? The Tailored Access Group, I think. No, Tau, Tailored Access Organization. Super secret. You know, nobody will admit it exists. Um, but their job is to create custom exploits for, you know, most networking gear and most servers. Well, um, all right. So, so, so future books, you're going to, you know, to pull it back, you're going to, you're going to incorporate the data breach stuff. What is, is there anything in particular that kind of stood out to you um, from you know last year's book to this year's book? Like, what's the what kind of is the big story of 2020, so to speak? Yeah. So the development in the industry that was you know it was kind of bookended at the beginning of the year. We had COVID and lockdown, and in a period, very short period, everybody was working from home. That changed networking, and I think it's uh, accelerating so-called cloud transformation where. Um, everybody expects to just connect directly to the internet. So it's been great for the SASE and zero trust network access companies. Um, and they all did well. The industry as a whole pulled back on hiring in the first six months last year. And then when they realized that people were still buying their product, they accelerated hiring again. So we're back to traditional growth rates. The, uh, for the first time ever, I took the you know uh, information I have on the 2,600 or so vendors, and I mapped them or graphed them by founding date. And I, I found one that was um, incorporated in the 1700s. You know, I thought it was a, a glitch on the end of my graph, right? And so I looked up the company, and sure enough, they're in the identity and access management space, and I'm trying to. You know, I've asked them to put together some notes on how they got from whatever they started as, which was probably a bunch of mule skinners, to where they are today. Um, but also, interestingly enough, I there were only 14 new companies founded in my data uh, last year. And 14 doesn't sound like very many. It sounds like, wow, the you know, internet security or network security has just dropped off or cybersecurity. Um, but then I look back at the graph and, you know, the biggest number was from 2015. And, but what all that means is of vendors operating independently today, you know, 328 of them were founded in 2015. 
That's the biggest proportion. So that just tells me that most of them are six years old, or that's the, it's kind of the median too. And first of all, looking at last year's numbers, I'm not going to find all of the startups because they don't tell the world that they're a startup yet. You know, they'll appear on their website eventually, but they haven't even launched their website yet. So it's about a, probably a three-year lag before I can feel comfortable that I've caught all the new companies. And and then, of course, after about six years, they start getting acquired. So they start falling off. So the curve drops off older than six years old. So, but we, you know, so that's, I'm still having fun with that data and what that tells us about our industry. It's kind of life cycle of a typical security company. Next thing, of course, is to break it down by category. So I've got 16 different categories, uh, you know, network, endpoint, data, identity, GRC are the top five. And then I can't fit security analytics necessarily into a category or XDR because it crosses boundaries um, or operations for SOC operations um, or email security could be endpoint, network, combination, um, uh, training, and deception. So deception is kind of the, the most standalone uh, technology, right? It's a different thing different than all the rest of the stuff. And there's network deception, and there's endpoint deception, and there's document deception, and there's even uh, identity deception. There's one company in uh, India called Smokescreen will generate fake uh, LinkedIn profiles. And then if you ever get somebody trying to log in with that LinkedIn profile's information, you know that somebody's doing reconnaissance on you, which is... It, to your knowledge, so, you know, I, I've, I've, I've worked with a, a deception client or two, um, so I, I'm familiar with the concept from the, from the defensive side. Mm -hmm. What I'm not aware of and, and I'm curious about is, are the attackers adapting? Like, is there, is there a way? You know, there, there's always a way. So I, I, I'm going right. to right. yeah. step back from my question and say, yes, there, there is always a way. For you know, because that's that's the game we play. That's the cat and mouse game. Like we yep. we come up with the defense. The attackers say, "Okay, I recognize your defense, and here's how I'm going to go around it." Right, right. And the you know, so deception is, in my mind, is just better alerting, right? So, in in theory, if you've got attacks that you're tracking on a virtual machine or uh, a network, or somebody's using credentials that you fed into an endpoint, you know, that are unique to the endpoint. And if somebody uses it, it identifies which endpoint they must have gotten it from memory. Uh, it gives you an alert that tells you right away, you've got a sophisticated attacker engaged in lateral movement inside your network. So the breach is underway. So super valuable, right? Much better than all the other stuff. Uh, but it's not going to stop a breach. It's only going to give you an alert. So it's not defensive other than one thing I'll come back to. And the uh, if the attacker has legitimate credentials, which are still easy to steal because you just you know get somebody to click on something, and then you're on their machine and you own their machine, so you can log in as them, then they'll never hit the because the legitimate users on a network don't even have access to the honeypots on the network; they can't see them. So, so the attackers still have a way in. Um, so that's so deception definitely isn't. 100% solution. Now, the one thing at least two of them have discovered is if they want to leave breadcrumbs, so they, you know, they basically 
go to every machine on the network and they can leave behind credentials in memory. The same thing that Mimi Cats discovers when you run the scripts on, a, on an endpoint. They figured out they could also check to see what credentials were already there. So they could run a Mimi Cats kind of tool and they can give you a complete map of how the credentials are distributed, uh, where they shouldn't be, and then they can remove them. So they, they've got the, you know, accidentally or serendipitously, they came across a tool that helps harden you against lateral attacks, which I think is just so cool. Well, yeah, that is cool. Um, I was going to say, so you, you, you said that, you know, you know, that, that the, on the, on the internal network that, you know, credentialed, you know, valid employees can't see the, the, the deception points, the, the, the right. honey, points, which some deception, some deception uh, companies will take a serious offense at being called honeypots, even though I did, uh, I was like, okay, it's so it's, it's like it's a there. honeypot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But but I seem to recall one that that was that was actually one of the selling points, and I, I don't remember which vendor it was, but that that you could see it because that then it could also be used as a um, even an insider threat type yeah. thing. Like yeah. like you you set up a deception point of like a, a a server that appears to have financial data or or something, and then it's like okay, well. You know, Richard Richard Steenen is a is a is a valid employee with 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 valid credentials, but we know up front nobody has a legitimate need to access this server. So by default, anybody who connects to this server or even attempts to connect to this server, there's a question to, to ask there. Now it could be you know it could be accidental, it could be whatever, but but you do have to at least sort of ask yourself, okay, well why is why is Richard trying to access this fake financial? And, and guaranteed, I would. You put me on any network, man, and I'm scanning it, looking for stuff. I just can't help myself. Um, at at Gartner, we used to have a you know a internal directory, and you could search on title, and if you searched on uh, a space, you got everything. So I got a complete spreadsheet of all the employees. And I can compare that to Gartner at the time claimed to have, I don't know, 600 analysts working for them. And I, I was questioning that because I didn't see 600 analysts. This is 20 years ago. Um, so with that simple hack, I could download all of them and their titles and you know, get rid of everybody who didn't have analysts in their title and then get rid of everybody who was in Taiwan because all they analyzed was chip sales. And that to me isn't interesting to the enterprise, right? It's, it's, it's a good business, but, and it came down to, you know, 150 analysts. So you can't help it. <laughs> there are a lot of people like me. <laughs> Well, that's true. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, honestly, it's the basis of hacking, kind of, you know. And, right. yeah. and 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 you know, when I was when I was a network admin, it's like the people who don't know anything at all. Um, sometimes it's a little annoying to have to do the hand holding and 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 walk someone through, like, hey, here's the power switch. This is how you turn the computer on. Mm-hmm. But it's the people who actually know a little bit that are the biggest concern. <laughs> they yep. don't know enough to know what not to do, but they know enough to poke around. Right. And right. Those are the dangerous ones. You know, pe- people like you, Richard. That's yeah, totally. That's probably why I don't have a job. <laughs> uh, 
you know, so I, I think you and I have talked about this in the past, and, and um, I am not, I'm not a huge fan of Gartner. Like I'm not, I'm not anti-Gartner, but I, I just, I, I here's my issue with it, and it's not, it's not Gartner specific. It's Gartner, it's Forrester, it's, 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 it's more the analysts in general. Is so much weight is given so you know to 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 reports forester waves gartner magic quadrants there's you know just so much and and you know when it comes out that's like that's the the the, the whatever companies are in the upper right quadrant or the you know whatever you know the forester wave calls their upper right right quadrant that's your marketing for like the next year like you you're oh, yeah. you're, you're staking your entire company on we are in the upper right quadrant my issue is that the report or the, the the analysis is in some ways, not entirely, but in some ways, arbitrary and subjective based on the analyst. The analyst is the one deciding what are the criteria that I think right. Right. <laughs> yep. make deception or that I think make zero trust or that, you know, right. and, and if you don't fit into that box, then you may not perform very well and then and then customers who don't know anything about anything are relying on that report or relying on the magic quadrant they're looking at it and they're going oh well you're on the left side so you know we're not even going to consider you and it's like okay well you know <laughs> there's more to it than that right right no totally agree um unfortunately you know at least speaking about the magic quadrants right there's there's no good alternative right there's no consumer reports for like there are for washing machines uh, because there are no test labs, right? That would be a great alternative is real world tests and real world situations. And nobody's figured out a model to make that business work, right? NSS Labs has failed at it. Um, uh, ISCA pretty much failed at it except for antivirus. Um, and in all of the labs I've talked to over the years cannot get end users to actually hire them to test a bunch of products, which is how it should right there should be labs somebody says we're making a major firewall buy we're going to throw palo alto up against fortinet up against checkpoint and run a series of tests to figure out which is best no they just hey you know my brother-in-law is a sales guy for palo alto so that's what we're getting kind of thing with a little and gartner supports it because they're top right and and i say you know like like i said i'm not, I'm not saying that they're 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 completely wrong or bad but there, no. there it just seems like there's always a there's always one outlier at least that should be ranked higher that didn't fit the right criteria and I, like i'm thinking back and actually this you know you you have a history here um back when i was doing this stuff like 10 years ago with uh with webroot they were having a hard time getting getting properly placed in like you know in, in testing and, and measurement of antivirus and endpoint type things because they were doing it a different way and it's like you know and and everything was based on you know signatures and and do you have this like do you hit these criteria and because they had kind of reinvented the way that they were doing it it didn't fit the criteria yeah. you know and silence ran into the same thing you know where it's sure. like silence was it had a completely different approach now in the end, in terms of like what you're trying to accomplish with that tool, it was 
better than a lot of other tools, you know, in terms of the actual performance and, and accomplishing the goal. Right. But it didn't fit the subjective criteria the analysts had laid out. Therefore, it didn't rank well. Right. And it should have been like putting them way to the right because of the um, thought leadership, because they're using a new approach and everybody was starting to copy them. Um, my, the one that still bugs me, of course, I was at Fortinet, you know, which adopted Charles Kalaji's term, um, UTM for what they did, right? A unified threat management. So we're, we've got a appliance and it does everything you need in the network stack. And Gartner just insisted that that one, they insisted that was for SMB only. And yet I was there and I could see the purchase orders coming in for millions of dollars from these giant companies. And so I didn't agree with that. And then, you know, then Palo Alto comes along with the exact same model. You know, same, we're going to do everything in a network appliance and it's expensive. And, and Gardner said, that's a next generation firewall. And boom, Palo Alto went public based on that. When Palo Alto went public, they had, I think, 5,000 customers and Fortinet had 500,000 customers. And yet to this day, Palo Alto is, well, now they're doing a lot better than Fortinet. Um, but thanks to that. And then also there was a, a secure web gateway, right? Which is content URL filtering, the WebSense stuff. And uh, Fortinet included that in their gateways. So they had 500,000 secure web gateways deployed and being used. And the Gartner wouldn't allow them to be in the secure web gateway magic quadrant because they didn't allow multi-function products. Right. Which is, that so is they're left with blue coat and WebSense, right? right? It's like products that were going away. So I'm saying that's, that's the kind of arbitrary distinction yeah. that I think, you know, and, and again, it's like it, that would be fine as long as the customers who were trying to use that as a, as a resource, as a reference, understood that and and did additional homework but nobody does everyone you know like it's just simple i'm going to take the magic quadrant i'm going to look at the upper right corner i'm going to and, and i'm going to check out those companies the, that that's my you know that's my proof of concept yeah. so so i was very pleased i started uh, sending copies of this around to cso's mm -hmm. the security yearbook and i started hearing from them they were using my directory for vendor selection which kind of blew my mind because you know, there's data in there. You could use it to shortlist companies because they list the number of employees and the change in number of employees over the previous year. Um, and I track that every quarter now. So you could say, okay, I just want companies of a certain size that have grown a certain amount because they're, they're healthy. And I can even check how much investment they have. And people are just cracking the book open. One guy said they lost their, I guess, semantic uh, just end of life, their tokens for access management for MFA. So the guy just cracked the book open, went through there, selected a new vendor. You know, major bank uh, did that. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tremendous resource. You know, yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I, I can I can use that now for my own like uh, you know freelance side gigs because uh, you know you know what I sure. have done traditionally. Traditionally, I take the. The, the the thick like guide they give you at RSA. Yeah, totally. That's my reference. I, I just start going through the companies and being like, who need, who needs yep. my services? You know, yeah, like, yeah only 
Only the top vendors show up at RSA, right? The last year it was held in person, there were about 450 actual vendors. And uh, you, you can line them up. They all have funding. They all have growth. They all have marketing teams. They're going to be the, the cut above. So that's a great place to start. I go to um, all the conferences around the world, and that's how I discover vendors. Right. And I look at everybody who's exhibiting. Sometimes it's a startup that's just you know, checking out if they can sell something. Um, but I track them after that. So, okay. So I have two things that, and they're di divergent paths. So I'll let you pick which one we go down. Right. On the one hand, I wanted to kind of talk about, you, you, you mentioned, you know, Palo Alto and next gen firewall and I, and uh, which immediately it, 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 it makes me clench my jaw. Like I, I've never liked the term next gen. I've all, I hated it from the first time I heard it because I'm like, what do you call the next one? Next, next gen? New yeah. gen? Like, there's always going to be a next gen. Yep. Uh, everything is next gen. Yep. So that, that one's dumb. And then also we, we hit on it a little bit earlier, but the, uh, you know, single pane of glass. And so there's the you other, know, these buzzwords where it's like, well, there's no, there, there is not, and will never be such thing as a single pane of glass solution. You can minimize the panes of glass. You can reduce the panes of glass. But you're not going to get rid of the panes of glass. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Or it was funny last time I interviewed uh, Marty Resch, right? It was after he had joined Cisco. All of a sudden, he's talking about, you know, the average company or Cisco, you know, customer has 80 security products and they have to have 80 management councils. So he told me with a straight face that Cisco was going to create the management council of management councils, integrate everything. And I, practically cracked up because even when I was at Gartner, Cisco, I kept asking Cisco to show me a firewall management console that wasn't command line. And every year they would, they'd show me a different one that they've been working on. Sometimes they'd show me two different ones, you know, one for Cisco iOS and one for the Cisco or the PIX firewalls and then the ASAs. And yeah, you know, Cisco's great at networking, not so good at user interfaces well it's just, like i said it's just, that that that's it's it's aspirational but it's a it's a misnomer yeah uh, but then the other thing i was gonna say uh, i thought of so that was that's one path one path is talking about buzzwords and 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 why they're annoying um the other one was uh as you talked about going to different going around to different conferences to discover vendors um it, you know i i wanted to kind of ask you you know, after doing this for so long and going around, like, do you, do you have any level of cynicism? Like, let me step back. Just when I go to RSA and Black Hat, I mean, I love going to RSA and Black Hat, you know, as as most people will say, it's it's primarily about, you know, HallCon. It's the people you meet, not like I, I, I'm not really there for the vendor pitches. Right. Um, but when I do walk the floor and listen to the vendor pitches, Every company seems to think, you know, every company thinks they've got the solution. Like, I mean, that's why they're there. That's why they show up to work every day. That's why, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't think anyone is there, you know, for the most part, I don't, I don't think people are there lying. I don't think that, <laughs> you know, I don't think they're, they're, they're trying to, you know, pull, pull anything over on anybody. They, they, they believe they've got the solution, but when you peel it back, it's like, okay, none of you have reinvented the wheel. You're all doing like minor iterations on each other's thing. Like, you know, it, it, you know, the difference between, you know, 
semantic to McAfee to trend micro to computer. So it's like you're all doing antivirus. None of you, none of you has reinvented the wheel here. Um, and, you know, so I'm just, you know, I, I, when you're going around and you're, you, you, you go to a conference and you, you look at a new vendor, you know, do you ever look at them and go, yeah, you, you're not really doing anything different. And, and then how often, how often do you see one that really, where you kind of go, wow, you are doing something different. Well, I, I see multiple ones like that at every RSA. Um, and I, I'm not cynical. I'm just jaded, right? Seen it all before. Um, and you have to listen or see a demo before you can actually say, okay, you're like X, you know, you're, you fit in this pigeonhole in my head. Um, because they, and this was magnified because in order to create a directory that's categorized of 2,600 vendors, I had to go look at all their websites and cut through and you would be surprised. I'd say 30 to 40% do not say what they do on their website. Right. They, they apply artificial intelligence, machine learning to stop threats. You know, they don't they don't say, you know, we're an endpoint security vendor and we've got an agent on your endpoint and we do this with the information we get from it. They won't say that. Um, they also try and be unique. So they'll, they'll jump on a new term bandwagon. You know, so they'll say we're zero trust network access or um, we're XDR uh, or whatever the latest is, they'll say that. And then you have to figure out if they really are, you know, or, you know, cause last year they didn't say that that's what they did. Did they change their direction or did they just change the words on their website and 2,600 It takes me five minutes to figure that out on average. So you just calculate it's like 80 hours of staring at a computer to figure all that out. Yeah. And I've said, so a couple of years ago, I did a presentation at the Houston security conference and part of it was around buzzwords, you know, it was, and I, and I said, you know, as a security professional going to RSA or black hat, you know, I can walk around and, and, and kind of see through the smoke screen and, and try to get at, okay, well, what are you really selling me here? But I'm like, if you're, you know, most of the people walking the floor, uh, hopefully, uh, are not just other security vendors. You know, you're, you know, you're, the, the the vendors are there because they want customers. They want people to come see what they what they have to offer. And I was like, yeah, but if you're just a person running a business, I mean, even if you're in IT, but you're not like a security professional, you don't you don't know it intimately. I don't understand how you would get any value out of walking the floor. Everyone is saying the same thing. They're all using the same buzzwords and they, yeah, and they yeah. mean entirely different things from one to the next, <laughs> how they're accomplishing it, or even what they're trying to accomplish is wildly different from one booth to the next. And yet they're all saying the same words. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, at our say 2019, I was signing books in uh, somebody's booth. And a bunch of the young people who came up said, oh, thanks for the book. It was going to help me. I was sent here. It's my second week on the job, and I was sent here to learn about the industry. And after you know, wandering the show like you do, I said, well, this would not be the right place to learn about the industry. You need the history behind it before you're going to understand where we are today. So that's why I wrote the history part. Well, and I, I I ended up not really getting to use this information because then COVID happened, and you know, uh, uh, there were there were companies that I was talking to prior to RSA last year that we were like ready to start doing some marketing business together and stuff. That yep. after then COVID hit, and they were like, "Oh, never mind, we're, right. we're out, we're yep. holding." Back. Yep. 
oddly, uh, my business actually went up over last year. Like, you know, because after the after kind of the initial pullback, yep. then I think once we hit, you know, once people got over the idea that that this was initially people thought it was going to be like hunkering down for a hurricane. We're going to we're going to go for two weeks. We're going to come back. and Everything is going to be normal. Once they got past that and they were like, oh, shit, we're doing this for the long haul. Like this might be this. This actually could be forever. Right. Um, you know, the, this this new model. Then people started investing and and figuring, OK, well, now instead of not spending money on marketing, I need to spend more money on marketing in right. different ways. Right. Uh, so anyway, so uh, but when I went to RSA, I had this vision in my head where I was what I what I did is I went around to the, all the booths and looked at well, what what's the language they're using. And I made, you know, basically a sort of a buzzword bingo card of, OK, well, these are the you know, these are the top 20 terms that just seem to keep showing up over and over and over. You could go to 100 booths and, and 75 of them are saying AI and ML. Right. And my plan coming out of that, and, and, I, and, I, and I still try to do this to some extent because I think it's a good exercise for the vendor, is to say, you know, when, I, when I'm entering into an arrangement with someone and they say, okay, we want you to you know, help us with some content marketing, we want you to write some stuff for us, I say, okay, cool. Tell me what you do without using any of these words. Like That's a good one. Because I'm like, you have to be able to explain it in English, you have to be able to. Right. If if you can't if you can't clearly tell me what you do without using you know these ten buzzwords, then then you don't even know what you do. I love that. I love that. And it could be super technical, right? We go to the you know, registry and we do this to it, you know, without ever using a buzzword. Right. Wouldn't wouldn't that be great? Let's. We should create a movement. The, well, uh, and when I did the presentation at the Houston Security Conference, you know, I said, look, you know, here's all these buzzwords. And yes, it's a problem. You know, the buzzword comes out. Everyone starts using it. It loses its meaning. The flip side of that is you can't be the vendor. You can't stand on, on a moral high ground and say, I'm not going to use this buzzword. Because while that might make sense, it ends up excluding you from the conversation. Right. Because now right. cust the customer comes in and they say, oh, AI and ML, AI and ML, AI and ML. Oh, that guy's not using AI and ML. I'm not going to go talk to him. Right, right. Yep, it's a catch-22. But it's still a very worthwhile exercise, right? You can, you, right. You can I mean, segregate that, right? I do occasionally run across vendors. They'll say, you sound like Zero Trust Network Access. And they go, yeah, we're not saying that. <laughs> you know, even though they do the same thing the other guys do. Well, and I was going to say that, you know, I think that that is a very good exercise to engage a client in. In the end, I'm, I will still tell them, look, I understand why we need to use the buzzwords, like I just explained. I understand we, that there, there's, a, there's a reason we have to put that on, on there somewhere um, because that's, that's what people expect to see. But that doesn't change that somewhere in here we have to be able to explain what we do in a way that differentiates it from everyone else who's saying that same buzzword. Right, right, right. And I'm just telling everybody right now, if you say blockchain, I'm out of here. You just lost my interest. You know, the, I, I acknowledge somebody could do something security related with blockchain, but I've got such a bad feeling about it that I'm not going to listen to you anymore. So figure out a different way. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. 
Well, I wanted to you know, kind of start winding down, but um, you know, I know you're you know you're busy kind of putting the you know trying to get this uh, new version of the book out the door. Um, it sounds like just keeping up with the book, <laughs> trying to trying to stay that's, on of it for the next year. It's uh, my new career. A full time job in and of yep. itself. Like you know, it's like do do you still have time to do other stuff? <laughs> I, I squeeze other stuff in. I'm writing a, a book on uh, data erasure at the same time uh, for, you know, it'll probably be traditionally published. Um, but no, this is this is it. You know, I'm getting on in years. And as long as my brain doesn't get all fuzzy, I'm going to be doing this for another 10 years. And, though you know, selling books on technical topics isn't easy. The business model is public speaking, right? You sign your book at your events. And you, and people... about, you and I have talked about that in the past. That you yeah. know, like yeah. the book, you're not you're not trying to retire on the proceeds from the book. It's it's right. the doors the book opens for you. Exactly. Exactly. But this book, you know, I wrote it for the entire industry, right? There's probably, you know, more than ten million people whose full time job is security, right? Because there's half a million on the vendor side. And it should be sitting on everybody's bookshelf or open on their desk, right? Because it's a reference book. Every single student trying to get into security should use this book. So there will be a time when the book sells 50,000 a year. You know, it's selling far less than 10,000 now. Um, but the effort I put into marketing it every year because it's, you know, a new edition of the same book uh, gives me that repetition factor that you need in marketing. So even if somebody doesn't buy it this year, next year they're going to go, oh, I should really get this new copy. Well, it becomes like the, uh, it becomes sort of the, the what color is your parachute of cybersecurity. That's right. That's right. Yep. That came out every year too. So Yeah. And it's got a chicken soup for the soul kind of thing because I collect the stories of pioneers in the industry while they're still with us. Um, Luckily, I'm older than most of them, so <laughs> I might not be with us very long. Who knows? <laughs> Hopefully, you'll be with us for a long while. But uh, yeah, thank you for taking the time. Uh, I always appreciate uh, chatting with you. Yep. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll uh, be able to attend live events and uh, grab a beer sometime in the in the not-too-distant future. Sounds good to me. All right. Thanks, Tony. All right. Later. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions that you'd like to see answered in future posts. 